Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. What a beautiful morning already. Look at Joel, I'm like, I know you want to preach this morning. I know you do. I can feel it. Uh, when, you were, when you were giving an invitation, which is really rare, by the way, you know, usually there's a pattern to these things, like we preach the gospel, then we invite people to respond, but when the Holy Spirit's moving in the room, touching hearts in the room, you know, prophetically, you just know, this is the moment. Like, now is the time to say yes to Jesus. And uh, when those things happen, whether, whether I'm the one leading and somebody else is, I realize there's something urgent happening in the room. It's not so much urgent that's like, ooh, everybody's got to be scared. That's not the point. It's that there's many of you that were sitting out there that didn't come forward, and I can tell who you are. And that is, you're, this, you're the person sitting there, and suddenly your heart starts pounding. The invitation's given to move. And you're like, why do I need to get up? What's the point? Uh, why am I even feeling this way? What is happening right now? I can just maybe, I can just do this right here, and nobody has to know. And suddenly you realize, no, that's, that's not enough. If I'm laying down my life, I don't care who knows. And why do I even feel like I need to do this even right now? And if you're that person, you're asking that question, your heart's pounding, you're like, I knew I was supposed to move. It's okay, we're just getting started. <laughs> you can get, get up, come forward at any time, at any time. And I tell you, when the Holy Spirit touches you, it's not, this is not just an idea of philosophy. It's not an emotional hype. When the Holy Spirit grips your heart, you begin to realize the reality of who Jesus is. And I've seen people who missed the moment in the first part of the service get wrecked and rocked in the middle of the service, may not even know what those words mean, and get out of their seat and crawl to the front because they can't stand. And I'm telling you, I believe God's doing that in some of your hearts this morning right now that the fire of God is kindling something on the inside of you. And maybe for the very first time, you don't have language for it, but you're discovering why you're alive. You're going, I was born for this. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's so real. And that's, I could hear some of you are going, is this even real? Yes, it's real. He says it's, it's real. It's real. It's more real than you are. Mm-hmm. I love the gospel. Tracy and I have um, been on this journey of just kind of rediscovering, uh, I would say, let me say it like this, rediscovering just intimacy with each other. You know you can fall in love with the same person more than once? <laughs> it's true. And... Uh, and on our 30th year of marriage, we, uh, we have just discovered that we enjoy being around each other now more than ever. And I, I'm, I'm just like, the more that I, I see her, the more it's like, I, I want to like, know more about who you are, right? It's like, I, I feel like we're dating again all over for the first time. And here's the crazy part about that. And that is, is it started to unveil some things about my relationship with God. God never gets old. I mean, he's ancient of days, but he never gets old, right? The angels swirling around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. We sang about it this morning. Holy, holy, holy. 
I don't think they're bored. I don't think it's like, this is my job description, clock in, fly in a circle and go, holy, holy, holy. That's not it. I don't think that's it. I think it's like a multi, God, God like shines, right? In him is light. There is no darkness in him, right? And as they're actually beholding him, I think it's like, it's like seeing the facets of a diamond. And as you see, you see a new one, you've never seen it this way before. And just when you think you've seen it all, suddenly there's something you've never seen before. And I think it's more like the angels going around the throne going, holy, 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 you got to come and see the holy. What? See, that would never get old. It's... <laughs> And I think you can, you, can, <clears throat> you can come to a place of believing in Jesus enough to where you know that you're saved. And you can believe even further to the point where you can believe his power can move through you and touch the world around you. That's kind of fun. I mean, hey, you know, when you know that you're like, man, my eternity is settled. Heaven is my home. I'm going to spend eternity beholding the presence of God. I'm forgiven. I'm covered by the grace of the blood of Christ that takes away all of my sins. And I like staying clean, pure, spotless. I'm reconciled to God and I can be at rest and peace. Like the, 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 just a clean conscience makes the best pillow, you know? I mean, I just, I find that place of rest in my heart, in Christ. That's great. But then you go, okay, maybe he didn't just save me for my afterlife. Maybe he saved me from, for my whole life. And so what does that mean for me now? And you start believing enough to where you can believe that sickness can be healed. Not, not, just, not just if Jesus decides to show up and do it, but at your hands. That's kind of a big deal. Like he wants to use you to touch and reach other people. So you can believe enough to get saved. You can believe enough to be used by God. But there's even a greater depth of belief. Let's call it like looking, beholding, seeing him. I can see him enough to believe that I'm saved. And if I keep looking, then I will begin to believe and watch his power flow through me. But if I keep looking, I'll start understanding his heart. I'll get to know him. And I got to tell you, I think that's the best of all. That's the best of all. It's one thing to know you're saved. It's another thing to watch the power of God move through you. It's another thing to be a friend of the Holy Spirit. Live in such a way as to where people will walk up to you and ask, what's it like to be a friend of the Holy Spirit? Can you introduce me to your friend? Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who've been walking with the Lord for a long time or you're brand new to this or you just said yes to Jesus this morning, this is going to be a word for all of you. And uh, in the scriptures, the words of Jesus are often called the red letters because in some translations they're actually written in red, and I love that. And uh, if, you, if you haven't really dug into the Bible a whole lot in your life, then uh, I'm going to give you a place to start, nine words where you can start. The nine, I believe the most important nine red words there are. And they come in groups of three. And uh, in order to dive into this, I want you to turn some places in the scripture with me today. In John chapter six, verse 14, we're gonna start here. John six, verse 14. And I'm just gonna kind of give you the gist of the story and then read a couple of verses to you. Uh, in John six fourteen, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's just coming off of this story. 
Uh, and, and this miracle, when it takes place, says that the people looked and they saw this. They saw this miracle happen and they suddenly go, this guy is a prophet, let's make him a king. And Jesus perceived that they were going to take him by force. The Bible says, verse 15 and 16, they were gonna take him by force and make him a king. And Jesus suddenly like bails out of there. Because here's the deal. He's not waiting for us to make him a king. He already is, okay? And the thing is, is, is we wanna take Jesus, the idea of Jesus, and we want to fit him into the mold of the king that we want. As if to say, I, I want this king, I want this king to come into my life to make my life better, but not to change it or challenge it. Don't challenge my lifestyle. Don't challenge my choices. Just come in and make my life better. That's the kind of king that I want. And I gotta tell you, Jesus will not be the king of your making. He will be king of all, or he won't be king at all. So when we lay down our life and give it to Christ, surrender our life to receive Christ, you know what he does? He changes everything. Everything. The addictions that were eating you up from the inside out rips those things off your life. Suddenly you start going, I didn't, I didn't know that this was killing me. Suddenly things that you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy anymore. But here's the thing, he's not judging your life. He's saving it. When he receives you, it's two things Jesus does not do. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't cancel your life. He doesn't cancel you. Jesus is not into cancel culture. Just not. There's nothing you can bring to him that makes him go, oh, wow, okay. So I'm, I'm like stamping like no on your application. <laughs> to be my child, I'm sorry, but we're tearing up these adoption papers. I can't deal with you. It's not the way Jesus does. Here's the other thing he does. He doesn't censor your story. He's not afraid of your story. You ever have people come up to you, this is common in church, people come up to you and go, you know, uh, yeah, I was watching this TV show. I recommend a TV show or the movie, a movie to you, but then they have to give a disclaimer because they don't want you to know they actually watched that show. Like, right? So it's like, but you know, it's a great show and it's got a great story, but there's some junk in it. And then they start telling you about all the bad parts. You're going to need to skip over and fast forward because God forbid you see or hear that because of course that's going to threaten your salvation, right? <laughs> oh, you can think it all day long and you can picture it in your imagination, but just don't let anybody else know you're doing it. Okay. So Jesus doesn't look at your life and, and then turn around to the rest of heaven and say, yeah, we'll, we'll take them. But there's a couple of bad parts. <laughs> I mean, it's okay, we can take, but there's, there's a few parts of their life we have to like fast forward. He's not looking over your story and censoring it. He takes the whole thing. He takes you as you are. Isn't that amazing? It's like we come to Jesus and we're like, seriously, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of eras in my life, there's a couple of years in there that you're gonna wanna fast forward in this movie. And Jesus is like, no, it's okay, I'm gonna take the whole thing. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take your story and I'm gonna give you mine. And now my story is your story. It's my story now that defines your life, not your story. 
which means you're not defined by the lowest moments in your life. Those low moments that defined you, that arrested and gripped you, they don't define you anymore. Okay, that was just a rabbit trail for somebody in here. Somebody needed that. Okay. They were taking him by force and going to make him a king. And suddenly Jesus is like, I'm out, I'm gone. He heads up to the mountains. He just disappears out of their sight and he goes up to the mountains. The disciples hop in a boat and they get out on the sea and they're like, we got to figure out, I mean, we're supposed to go, this our next itinerary spot is, is over here and we're supposed to go over there and minister, but the speaker is gone, not sure where he is, but we're gonna go ahead and head off to the other side. They're heading to the other side. The wind and the waves start coming up and, and all of a sudden, they see something out in the sea and it's Jesus and here he is and he's coming toward the boat. They freak out because there's somebody walking on the water and they don't know what in the world's going on here and Jesus says this phrase, it's is I. Don't be afraid. And that's the first three words. First three words you ever need to hear from Jesus is it is I. It's me. I'm real. I love the idea that he was actually walking on a stormy sea too. And we think, you know, all the paintings of Jesus walking on the water, the wind and the waves are whipping everything up. And he's just sort of like walking in his robe, looking like he's bored, walking on the water. It's calm right where he is, but the wind and the waves are whipped. No! Jesus is in his early 30s. I know a lot of people in their early 30s that live in California. You know what they like to do? Surf. He's a guy in his early 30s. He can walk on water. He's not gonna make a calm sea. No, he's whipping up some waves. He doesn't need a board. I think the painting should look like, you know, Jesus doing this thing. Come toward the boat. He's like, it is I, don't be afraid. Hops in the boat, ah. Lands like Spider-Man off a building. Whoa. I think that's the way it is. I think he was a ton of fun to be around. And when they saw him coming at the boat, I think they were just freaking out. And he says these words, it is I. I, I Tracy and I were in, um, we're in Atlanta the most, every week we travel through the busiest airport in, in the nation, in the world actually, it's the Atlanta International Airport. And if you've ever been there, there's a, there's a train that goes underneath the, the airport terminals called the plane train. And, and uh, you take your life in your hands riding this thing because the doors open fast and they close fast. And if you're stuck in there, half of you's gonna stay outside. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's worse than a New York subway. So we're on the plane train just the other day and, uh, and all of a sudden here comes this family and they have this little girl and they shove her through the open door as it's closing. There she comes in right at us. The door closes and we're off, right? And they're outside to me just terrified looking, right? So at the next stop, we all hop off. I said, let's, let's get off here. And so that's your family? Yeah, yes. And she's freaking out. And suddenly we realize this little girl's never flown on a plane before. She's never been in an airport before. They're heading off to visit family and relatives. She's in a strange place, and now she's left, and she's alone. She doesn't have a phone. She doesn't have nothing. And so we're sitting there waiting. Nobody shows up. Now, there's a tunnel that goes from that concourse to this concourse, but it's long, right? And she's sitting there just... just Cool, calm, collected, but you can see she's on the edge of panic and she's looking. There's thousands of people walking around. She's looking all through this tunnel and all of a sudden she goes, Dad! 
She takes off, sees her dad coming down the tunnel in the crowd, takes off and runs toward him. Boom, she's in his arm. It's really rude. She didn't even like stop to say goodbye or thanks for your help or anything like that. Didn't matter. No, all she needed, and here's the thing. Everybody's wearing like these ninja costumes, right? So everybody's got the masks on. All she could see was eyes. And she's scanning through the hundreds of people that are down there getting off and on this train, going up and down escalators. And in the crowd, all she had to do to be okay was to catch the gaze of her father. And that's what you're getting this morning in worship, in what Pastor Joel was talking about, in unveiling and opening up the word. We just want to put you in the gaze of your father, just show you the eyes of your heavenly father. Because in his gaze, you're not going to find judgment. You're going to find grace. You're going to find healing and forgiveness and salvation. You're going to find a baptism in the Holy Spirit that's going to leave you so intoxicated with joy that your life will be marked by the kind of joy that produces not just the giggling laughter that you just heard something funny, but the kind of laughter that when you get done laughing, your socks are hanging around your neck. That kind of laughing. I'm talking about that kind of joy that absolutely breaks depression off of your life. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to describe this gaze of, of love, we always read it as, we call it the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, keeps no record of wrongs, believes, bears, hopes, endures all things, love never fails. But how do we define love? Is it a concept, idea, or philosophy? No, love is a person. The Bible says God is love, and God was manifest in Christ. So the 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter is actually a description of who God is, who we've got to know him to be. He is patient, kind, keeps no record of wrongs. The 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. So when you read 1 Corinthians 13, read it as a description of your heavenly father. Read it as a description of the character of Christ, and you'll see who your Savior is. But when you realize his spirit lives in you, and he changes your identity from the inside out, now 1 Corinthians 13 is not just a description of him, it's a description of you. It's who you are. And as you read through there, you'll go, oh my goodness, this is not who I have been. But the Bible tells us we are being conformed into the image of Christ. So supernaturally, God will reform, reshape those places in your heart that are contrary to the values and the sound of the kingdom to the point where suddenly you'll look at 1 Corinthians 13 and realize, no, that is me. That is me. I'm supernaturally patient. I am supernaturally kind. So much so I have love for my enemies and I don't even know how that happened. Second one is Matthew chapter four, verse four. First three words are, it is I. It is I is all the presence you will ever need. We're looking for the presence of God. It is I is all the presence you'll ever need. Matthew chapter four, starting in verse four, you get the story of Jesus and the devil and they're, they're in the wilderness together. You're gonna spend 40 days having a chat. And I talked about this a little bit last night. And uh, the devil quotes the Bible to Jesus. Jesus quotes the Bible back. And what the devil does is he quotes the scripture and twists the scripture in a way that seems to try to be getting Jesus to question his own identity. Jesus, knowing the scripture, he is the word made flesh, he quotes 
the scripture back to the devil to reinforce his identity. Okay, so in the hands of religion, this book will kill you. That's why you need the Spirit of God to make this come alive. Because when the Holy Spirit and this book get together, this book suddenly reinforces your identity and gives you a clarity as, a, as to the face of God, what he's like and who he is. It's a big deal. And, and, and I, I, love, I, mean, I love this book, but it's almost like we read this and we get bored with it. It's so cliche. It's the best-selling book in the history of mankind. Nothing else will ever come close to, to outselling the Bible. But the reality is most of us leave it kind of sitting on the shelf or read a couple of verses, feel like we've done our duty, and we move on. I was, I was in a conference one time, and, uh, and I, it, was a, it was a church that was called a Bible church. And since it had the name Bible in the title, I was feeling just a little ornery. And I kind of felt the religion in the room. It was, it, and, and when I feel religion in the room, I feel like I got to kind of kick it a little bit. It's a hornet's nest I can't help but kick. So I had my journal with me and I said, um, I said, guys, I had something really, first time I'd ever been in this place. I had something really cool happen. Um, I went to this occult bookstore on the way here and, uh, and I saw in this occultic bookstore, I saw a book that said Book of Spells. And I picked it up and I checked it out and I was like, wow, these are really interesting. And so I bought it and I brought this book of spells here with me. And, and I'm just going to read you guys a few of these spells. And I don't know, just kind of see what you think, all right? You, so, so you could see the fear like jumping on people. Mothers are like grabbing their kids going, let's get out of here. I mean, like freaking out, looking for the nearest exit. I mean, it was, it was, I was, I was amused. Um, so... Finally, I stopped him before like, it turned into pandemonium. I stopped him and went, okay, okay, time out, time out. Look, I didn't go to a cultic bookstore. I didn't buy a book of spells. This is my journal. But the crazy thing is you thought I did. And some of you thought that if I actually opened up a book of spells and read them in this room, there might be some dark spiritual power released into the room and you didn't want it to get on you. But every week, you come into this room and you hear the words of life written in the word of God and you think it's not going to have any effect at all. And what it exposes is the reality that we have greater faith in darkness than we do in the power of God. <laughs> Yesterday we were talking with some talking with some dear friends and they were telling me about this, this uh, experiment done in Houston with this biosphere or something somewhere out in that area. And uh, they had mimicked at the atmosphere of earth and apparently this perfect, pristine environment and growing all these trees and everything. The scientist went in there and he went to go and study the tree and he touches the thing and it literally crumbled and fell apart. And uh, a real tree just crumbles and starts coming apart. And they discovered the reason why that is, is because within that controlled, safe atmosphere, there was no wind. It was the adversity of circumstance, of wind, that actually caused the depth of the roots to go down deep and that tree to grow strong. I used to have a neighbor when I was growing up in Lake Benton, Minnesota. I had a neighbor who would go out and he'd plant these little trees in his front yard and he'd walk out to get his newspaper every day and he had this weird, strange ritual 
he'd pick up his newspaper and he'd go over and he'd smack these trees. <laughs> he hit these things. <laughs> Finally, I'm like one day, what are, you, what are you doing? And he goes, I don't want wimpy trees. <laughs> I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He said, we live down in a valley. We don't get a whole lot of wind down here. And he goes, if I hit these trees around, he says, you know what they'll do? Their roots will go down, dive, dig deep. He says, wimpy trees have no root system. You can't protect these trees. You got to smack them around a little bit. Okay, now, <laughs> don't do that with your kids, all right? But, <laughs> but there's a lesson here. We love the idea that God's going to come in and completely remove the winds of adversity from our life. Like, if I accept Jesus, I won't suffer anymore. Hey, we all suffer. You don't have to go looking for suffering. It will find you. How many of you know that's true? But here's the thing about the goodness of God, is that when you hit moments of suffering adversity, you don't suffer alone. And when you are grounded in the soil of the scriptures, suffering and adversity can hit you. And you know what you do? You anchor, your root system is in the promises of God that he has written in plain letters right there in front of you. And you're sitting there going, I don't have any money in my bank account. You grab the word of God and you go, my God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I, I've been given a report from the doctor that says I've got a disease that there's no cure for. I open up the scriptures, it says, by his stripes I am healed. He sent his word and healed us and delivered us from all destruction. We grab onto these words, write them down. My dad used to take and, and he'd write them down on three by five cards and he'd just keep them like in front of his eyes always just keeping the word of God in front of his eyes. He wrote it, he copied it, he put it in on the bathroom mirror, stuck it in the dashboard of the car. He'd sit there and he'd read the scriptures and just like constantly poured over this stuff. I learned from watching my father the value of letting my root system go down deep into this book. What are the next three words that are super important? It is written. Get so dug into the soil of the scriptures that it doesn't matter what the winds of adversity do in your life. When they show up, you got a root system that goes deep and you won't crumble and fall apart. Last three, John chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus is hanging on the cross and they feed him a, a sponge of vinegar and they, he asks, says, I'm, I'm thirsty. And when he received it, it says, he cried out with a loud voice. He says this phrase, last three words, probably the three most important words ever uttered in the scriptures. It is what? Finished. When Jesus died, rose from the dead, he made this statement. Matthew 28, he said, all authority. Everybody say the word all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. It's a mathematical equation. If he has all, somebody has none. Okay? <laughs> all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Then he turns to you and I and says, now you go. So the one who has the authority now delegates it back to us. But wait, we kind of messed this up from the outset. Like, really, this did not go well last time you gave us authority. 
How do you get the authority back? Well, in order to answer that question, we gotta ask this question. The devil in the Bible is called the God of this world. Do you ever wonder how the devil became the quote unquote God of this world? If you go all the way back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and essentially in that moment, they said to God, not thy will, my will be done. I'm gonna take control of my own life. I'm gonna do what I want. doesn't matter what you say. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first thing they do is they judge one another. And judgment produces guilt and shame. God shows up and he first goes to his three characters in this story besides God, Adam, Eve, and the serpent, the deceiver that tricked him. But the first person that God goes to in the story is he goes to the one that he initially gave all the authority to first, and that was Adam. And he says essentially to Adam, he says, what happened here? Now, Adam's got a choice in this moment. He's got a crossroad moment. He can make a choice to say, it's my fault. I did it. Recognize his own responsibility and take the authority. But he doesn't. He chooses path number two, judgment and blame. And he turns to his wife and goes, it's the woman you gave me. In other words, it's all your fault. The minute he chooses, listen to this, the minute he chooses judgment and blame, in judgment and blame, he takes the spiritual authority that he had and he gives it away. This is the danger of walking in judgment and blame. You are never going to feel spiritually weaker than when you walk in judgment and blame. When he says, the woman you gave me, she's the one. Now God turns his attention from Adam and turns it to Eve. Why? Because she's got the authority now. And he says the same thing to her. Essentially, what happened here? Now Eve's got the same choice. She can say, you know what? It is, this is on me. But she doesn't do that. She goes, the serpent tricked me. Judgment and blame. What happens? The authority now passes on. The serpent sits there and waits. And God turns and he starts speaking to the serpent. You know what the serpent does? Absolutely nothing. In silence, he essentially says, I'll take responsibility, thank you very much. And in that moment, takes the authority that was delegated to man and becomes the quote unquote, little g, God of this world. Fast forward to Jesus. You remember when Jesus is standing before the political and religious leaders of his day and they say, you say you're the son of God, is that true? You call God your father, is that true? Why won't you speak? And Jesus, in silence, takes back all the authority, reversing what went wrong in the garden when he's in the garden, another garden, and he's literally sweating blood, and he's facing down the greatest suffering any human being ever could for the sin of all of humanity to reconcile the entire world, the whole universe, back to himself, and says, Father, is there any other way to do this? And realizes this is the only way. He says this phrase, Remember how Adam in the garden, when he disobeyed the word of the Lord, essentially was saying to God, not thy will, but my will be done. Jesus, on behalf of humanity in another garden, turns the phrase around and says, not my will, 
your will be done. And puts all of humanity in himself to that place of surrender back to the heart, the will, the word of the Father. And then before his accusers, as they're railing accusations that he's the son of God, that God is his father, what does he do? Stays totally silent. And in silence, he exercises the authority to arrest that dominion back from the kingdom of darkness, takes us and all of that to the cross, goes into the grave and comes out in resurrection power with this phrase. Now you understand the power behind it. All authority in heaven and on earth, that pretty much is everywhere, has been given to me. In other words, I got the keys back. Now, from that vantage point, he looks at you and me and says, now you go. Do it again. But do it better. <laughs> like, and here to this day, we still, we go, I don't know how much authority I've got. Listen, oh my goodness. You, you and I, you and I carry so much authority we don't even realize it the other day i'm, I'm in uh, peoria illinois and i'm on my way to catch a plane and a pastor calls me up and says hey uh i got this demon possessed girl in our in our church can you please um come and, and help me cast this demon out of this girl i'm like i got 30 minutes right so we're gonna have to do this super quick so i'm like sure fine so i get there to this house and uh this girl uh early 20s, and she has, she has destroyed literally everything in the house. She's taken all of the, the pictures off the wall. She's destroyed them. All the furniture and the stuff in the house is piled into the living room. She piles everything in the living room. She's taken and created this shrine in the basement down here where she's like worshiping something. Her brothers are freaked out. Her mom's freaked out. Her dad doesn't know what to do. And this is a well-off family. So I walk in, and she's sitting on the one piece of furniture in the living room, which is the couch, and she's looking at me. And I'm going, oh my goodness. I mean, I, it's been a while since I went over to cast a demon out of Sometimes demons show up to meetings. I get that, right? But I usually don't go there, right? Because sometimes people don't want to be free. And that's just not fun. So I'm walking in, I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do here. And I feel like this, this authority is starting to stir a little bit. And I realize darkness can't threaten you. Why? Because you got the light of the world living in you, okay? So, so I go, can I sit down here next to you? And she, she looks at me and goes, okay. Chills. <laughs> so I, I sit down. The minute I sit down, she looks over at me like I did or said something super offensive. Gets up, runs. I mean, this is a grown young lady. Runs down the hallway into her room, slams the door. And we hear furniture moving. She's taken her big old dresser and slammed it up against the door. Barricaded herself in the room. I'm like, oh, now it's on, right? <laughs> I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, I got a little bit of time here. We got to do this. So I said, can you pick that lock? Mom goes, yes. She picks the lock, and me and the pastor open up the door to this room. Girl is huddled on her bed, curled up on, on her bed, and she's looking at the corner, and she's having a conversation with something in the corner. So I try to talk to her, and the minute I mention Jesus, she freaks out, and then and, and she's talking this thing in the corner. So I go, okay, look. I say to the pastor, I got to get between her and whatever this thing is over here. So I go and stand between her and the corner. When I walk over there, it's freezing cold because the Bible calls angels ministering spirits as servants of flame of fire. 
whenever you encounter demons, a lot of times you'll, you'll feel a cold that goes beyond just temperature in the room. It's weird. So I walk over this super freezing cold, and I say to the pastor, hey, come over here for a second. And he walks over and goes, wow, cold over here. It's like they got a draft. I'm like, bro, that's not a draft. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I said, okay, so now she's super annoyed because she can't see around us to see what this thing is that's huddled in the corner. So now, because we moved away from the door and we start talking to him, we said, we're gonna pray right now. We're just gonna believe that God is gonna just deliver you, right? You wanna be free. She gets up, runs out of the room, down to the basement. She goes down the basement and we can hear her, but she can't hear us. And we just stand in a room and we start praying. As we pray, the temperature in the room changes, it goes from cold to warm. We're standing there, we're praying, releasing the joy of the Lord over the house, just, just casting out whatever comes to mind. We're just telling it to go. And here's the thing about demons. Because of who lives in you, when you tell a demon to go, if it actually is a demon, it actually has to obey you, okay? And, uh, and as we're talking about this, saying this, she's freaking out down in the basement, responding to how we are casting stuff out. And so finally, we feel like, man, there's something's happened. Something's broken over this home. Just say to the mom, play some worship music, like good worship music with some like serious Jesus-exalting lyrics, you know? <laughs> you got to say that these days. I don't know why. But, and, and read the scripture. Read it out loud. Get the word of God going in your home. You know, get the Bible app and just start punch play on the gospel of John or Ephesians or whatever. Something that just kind of gets the word of God playing in your home. Mom's like, oh. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. I'm like, man, I'd have done that the first time she broke a painting. I mean, come on. Like, so, so I'm thinking, we're not going to see her again. She's down in the basement, but it's time to go. i got to catch a plane. Pastor texts me the next day. Bro, she's clothed in her right mind. She's reading the scriptures. She's opening up the Bible. She's singing worship music. She's free. I'm like, What? So he just, we just talked the other day. We just did a podcast together the other day. And I said, hey, how's, and mentioned her name. I said, how is she doing? He's like, it's free, man. It's totally free. Why? What happened? The king encountered an authority that goes about as a roaring lion. He isn't a roaring lion. He just goes about as a roaring lion. In other words, he wants you to think he's stronger than he is. And when the kingdom encounters that, it has to go. It has to go. When light encounters darkness, it absolutely has to go. Has to go. John chapter one, verse 12 says this, to as many as received him, and this is what you guys were encouraged to do today. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back. To as many as received him, to those, speaking of Jesus and the evangelistic ministry that he carried into the earth, to as many as received him, to those he gave the power to become sons of God, the right to become children of God. Listen, you say, I, I, you don't know what I've been through, Bill. I get it. You, you, you say that God doesn't censor my story. What do you even mean by that? When Jesus opened up the scriptures for the first time in Luke chapter four, verse 18, starting his, his ministry on earth. He's about to just unveil the reality of what God is like and who he is. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel, declare freedom and liberty. And he mentions two groups of people. He says to captives and prisoners. These two groups of people are really important. Captives are in chains, and so are prisoners, but they're in there for two different reasons. 
Captives are usually in chains because they've been taken hostage, they've been taken captive by the choice of somebody else. It wasn't their choice. Somebody else made a decision and now you feel violated. Somebody else made a choice and you've lost your innocence. Somebody else made a choice and you are suffering. What is that? That's being a captive. Now it would make total sense for us to take a look at captives and go, the justice button goes off on us and we go, those folks gotta go free. That's why ending human trafficking is such a big cause for people. Why? Because captives must go free. That's justice. But Jesus' justice doesn't just stop there. Because prisoners are also in chains and they're bound. But they're bound for a different reason. Usually it's because of what they've done. If you're a prisoner, you're in chains. But usually it's because you did something. Now Jesus... His justice system is way different than ours. We might go, the captives go free. Prisoners, stay put. You did the crime. You got to do the time. Well, here's what Jesus looks at and says. He looks at a world filled with captives and prisoners, and he sees his children. And he says, I see my kids in chains. I see them behind prison doors. I'm not so much worried about how you got there. That's not the point. What I want is to see you all go free. So whether you are facing guilt, shame, regret because of what somebody else has done or because of what you have done, the same word of Jesus is the word over you, freedom. When Paul and Silas are in prison one night, they were unjustly beaten and they're in prison and they're in chains and they're, they're hanging out there and, and suddenly, Paul turns to Silas and says, hey, let's sing that new Sozo Church song. It, that's super cool. I don't know, whatever. I don't know what he sings. So let's, sing, let's just sing praises to God. In other words, they refuse to be offended by the unfair treatment. They're in chains. They're in prison. They don't care. They're going to worship anywhere. And when they worship God, suddenly there's an earthquake. Supernaturally, chains fall off. Prison doors open. But here's the part of the story that is so offensive. It's not just their chains that fall off. It's not just their doors that open. How many of you know what's in a prison? Prisoners, bad people who did really bad things. When they start praising God and turn their attention to the things of God, what happens? The authority of heaven is released in that moment for freedom and liberty to come to captives and prisoners, and it doesn't matter who's in the cells. Guilty, innocent, doesn't matter. Everybody's chains fall off, everybody's doors open. And here's the crazy part, nobody moves. Nobody goes anywhere. Why? Freedom's not out there. I don't have to run out there to get free. Why? Because freedom just ran into me. I'm free right here. Surrounded by chains, surrounded by bars. Maybe my circumstances on the outside haven't changed, but something on the inside has changed. And this is where the true freedom is. And listen, this morning, if you say, Bill, I need that freedom in Christ. I don't care if you're a captive or a prisoner, Jesus wants you free. Stand to your feet with me this morning. How many of you say, Bill, that's me. I want that freedom right now. Go ahead and put your hands up. Wow, all over this room, all over this room. Wow. All right, put them both up. 
Lightning doesn't strike a rod hanging on the ground, all right? So Father, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, there be a supernatural wave of grace come over this room. Jesus, by faith, right now, we say, we say yes to you. That's you, just say yes, Jesus. Say, Jesus, I receive you. I receive your grace. I receive your freedom. Be the king of my life. Whew. I am your child, now and forevermore. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Now say thank you, Jesus. Let's lift up a shout of praise. Amen.